Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. I think John's uh I think John's just really trying to focus in on making this year a really special year for us because I think the biggest thing is that you know all of us are we're tired of losing. And not even just that, it's just not the fact that we losing bad, it's like the fact that we right there to the playoffs and we just can't get over the hunt, the hump. So I think just seeing his discipline and trying to, you know, help bring the guys along on the back end and the way he's kinda uh trying to push the fact that we got to really learn this defense so we can just go out there and play as a, as, a, as a DB group. I think that's been one of the things I've noticed a lot about him. That was the voice of Raiders defensive end Cleve Farrell, and he was talking about Jonathan Abram, uh, the safety. Uh, just like Cleve, uh, Jonathan uh, and Farrell are both going into their third years uh, with the Raiders. And um, interesting to hear you know, what Farrell is talking about in terms of you know, these Raiders are tired of losing um, and the importance and the discipline that Jonathan Abram is showing and the diligence that he's showing and hey, gotta learn this defense, gotta get it down uh, pat. Um, there's no waiting around to do it. It starts now and they need to have that command of that defense uh, because we've been talking about this for so long now. The Raiders are some defensive stops away from being in the playoffs. That is literally what the situation was last year. As bad as the Raiders' defense played last year, and it was downright bad. You don't give up 29.9 points per game and not be bad. As bad as they were, the offense still was able to play well enough to put this team in position to win 11 games this year. And three of the games that... We all know they finished with eight wins. So what happened to those three wins to get them to 11? There were three games, and we've talked about it time and time and time and time again. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Miami Dolphins, the Los Angeles Chargers, the offense late, late, late in games. And when I talk about late in games, I'm talking about a minute and change and literally seconds. And in one game, an overtime game. And had the defense as bad as the defense have played all year, and they played downright bad, 29.9 points per game. But three separate occasions down the stretch in the second half of the season, all that was required from this defense was a play here or a play there to make the necessary stop against the Chiefs, against the Dolphins, against the Chargers. And had that happened... This team would have been in the playoffs, and the, the whole narrative would have changed. Now, one thing that wouldn't have changed, even had they made those plays, the Raiders still need to get better on defense because those three wins would not have, you know, had, had they made those three plays to get into the playoffs, it would have not masked the overall problem that they needed to do a better job of getting to the quarterback. They needed to do a better job uh, of creating turnovers and playing consistently throughout games and throughout the season. But as Clee Farrell said, so close. Even with the struggles of that defense, 
just a play here or a play there in three games, and this team would have been in the playoffs. And you go into the next season, this season, try to figure out ways to get even better on, on defense. But at least they would have gotten that experience of making the playoffs. And then you just get the sense that there's a, a real understanding now. It's not about youth anymore. It's not about, you can't use that excuse. These guys aren't rookies anymore. Jonathan Abram and Clee Farrell are going into their third years. Max Crosby's going into his third year. Trayvon Mullen is going into year three. A bunch of other guys are going into year two. Uh, you've got Corey Littleton now in his second season with the Raiders. Uh, Kwiatkowski going into his second year with the Raiders. The Raiders did... Uh, made an investment in, in trying to improve this pass rush, going out and getting the unique Ngakwe, one of the better pass rushers in the in the entire sport. So there's you know no more excuses, and it starts now. And Clee Farrell talking about the changes of Jonathan Abram and being a little bit more disciplined and the understanding of. No more excuses. We've got to understand this new defense. Yeah, it's a little bit of a process, but you have to do it, and you have to be better, and you have to hold up your end of the bargain because the offense, I feel like this offense is going to be fine. They're going to play good enough uh, to play, to, uh, you know, a playoff. It'll be a playoff caliber offense. I'd be shocked if it wasn't. That defense needs to get better, and it really does start now, and, and you're starting to see, hear and see players that are maturing a little bit and having a better understanding and no more excuses, no more rookie excuse, no more youth excuse, no more, hey, there are a bunch of new faces here this year, no more, there was no OTAs this year, there was no off-season program, hey, the team moved from uh, you know uh, Oakland to Las Vegas, all of that is out, it's time to put up or shut up uh, defensively right now, and I feel like Players on defense understand that. By the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Thursday. Um, I'm putting this question out to everybody. Uh, what are your expectations for this secondary, led by uh, Jonathan Abram? He talked yesterday when we spoke to him about moving more to a box safety position that um, better suits him. Now you've got... You know, uh, Trayvon Morg, the rookie from TCU, playing that deep safety position. I think the Raiders are in really good hands with that youngster. Will there be some ups and downs? Of course, there always is uh, with the rookies. But watching what he did at TCU, listening to him talk, um, the, the maturity and, and hearing how people described him, his coaches and teammates and, and uh, all of his support staff over at TCU talking about what a great kid uh, Trayvon Morrig is. Whatever the learning curve might be or always is uh, for players coming to the NFL, I, I just have this feeling that he's going to uh, make that curve or, 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 or uh, cover that curve fairly quickly. I think he, by the end of this year, I think he's going to be somebody that the Raiders are, are, are really leaning on. Uh, but I want your thoughts on where you think this young secondary can be. Jonathan Abram has that box safety. Who wins uh, that perimeter cornerback uh, position, whether it's going to be Damon Arnett or, or Casey Hayward? Uh, who is going to take over in the slot in the absence of LaMarcus Joyner? I know LaMarcus didn't play all that well uh, at that position, but he was the starter, and they need a new, they need to find a new one. Uh, who's going to emerge at that position? Will it be Casey Hayward? Will it be Damon Arnett? Will it be Amik Robertson, the second-year player from Louisiana Tech? Um, 
you know, how, how much better will Max Crosby be now that he's healthy? And as we've stressed, uh, probably going to play a fewer snaps than he did last year, and that you know could potentially result in a more efficient Max Crosby, somebody that uh, is going to be able to uh, you know get to the quarterback at a at a higher rate in less snaps, playing less snaps. Um, a guy, you know, and, and as a result, somebody that, you know, isn't going to be worn out. I just felt like, you know, <laughs> there were probably some times last year between the injuries and just playing so much, he probably was worn out. I don't think that that's going to be the case this year because I think the Raiders have coverage at that position when you're talking about now Yannick Ngakwe, Clee Farrell uh, playing over there on the other defensive end, kicking inside on passing situations. And you bring in, you know, whether it's um, Max covering on that side opposite or next to Clee Farrell or they flip-flop and you have Yannick Ngakwe uh, rushing off of um, Clee Farrell's right side. Uh, you know, don't forget about Malcolm Kuntz, the rookie from Buffalo. I think he's going to finagle his way into the lineup uh, in certain situations. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's, there's options there. There's depth there. And uh, I think as a result of that, at least this is the hope anyway for um, for the Raiders that by deepening the rotation and by um, managing snaps a little bit better so that guys have fresher legs and fresher bodies you're just going to get a better overall level of play across the board we're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line uh, Tevin is calling and wants to uh, talk about expectations for this season hello hey Vinny what's going on I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Oh, man, doing good. Um, my expectations from this year, uh, at least 11 and 6, man. Uh, I, I expect the defense to improve, you know, like how you said. Pass rush should be there now. Um, I, I believe Damon Arnett going to have a comeback year. Because, you know, last year, you know, the offseason wasn't that good due to COVID and all that. So I feel like they didn't get a real chance. And, you know, he was also hurt. And uh, Jonathan Abram, I feel like he's going to have a big year this year also. And I like the fact that they signed Casey Hayward because, you know, uh, a good veteran DB in that in that film room. I feel like that's what they need to teach the uh, – you know, lead by example. Yeah, I agree with you. And, um, you know, uh, I, I'm looking at their depth chart right now. And, you know, when you start looking at that, uh, that, that defensive line, it's interesting. Our lads has, has the defensive line um, across the board. Clee Farrell starting his backup, Max Crosby, um, and uh, number three, back, Matt Dickerson. Then you go over to the other side, that uh, defensive end is Yannick Ngakwe, Malcolm Kuntz, and Carl Nassib. Carl Nassib is somebody that we also haven't talked about. Um, you know, if he can just bounce back himself, you know, this is a guy that, you know, knows has, has a history of, of being able to get to the quarterback. He's not a star player uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Did the Raiders pay him too much uh, last year? Maybe, uh, but it's neither here nor there at this point. He took a... Uh, restructured uh, contract uh, is playing for less money this year um, and and if he can just do what he's been able to do in the past coming off the bench it's not a bad guy uh, to have coming off the bench and so when you talk about Cleve Farrell, Max Crosby 
Uh, we'll see about Matt Dickerson if he, if he makes the team. Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Malcolm Coons, Carl Nassib. That's not a bad little rotation uh, in terms of coming off the edge right now, especially if Malcolm Coons um, can, can step into a role. And it doesn't have to be a lengthy role. It doesn't have to be you know, a down-in and down-out role, uh, but as a specialist coming off the bench. And, 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 you know, you made a good point, and I really appreciate uh, uh, the call, uh, Tevin, but here's the thing. Getting to the quarterback is only going to help Damon Arnett. It's only going to help Trayvon Mullen. It's only going to help Jonathan Abram and uh, Trayvon uh, uh, Morig because, obviously, you know, you're, 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 you're making life a little bit more difficult for quarterbacks. Too many times last year, guys were just standing in the pocket, just, you know, having the time of their lives, playing under very, very little pressure and just being able to scan the field and make fairly easy throws. Co- throws that quarterbacks at this level should be able to make when they're not under duress. The Raiders need to change that dynamic, and if they can, uh, and it does start up front, you know that's just gonna you. That's just gonna make the defensive backfield play. You know, be more effective. Um, yes, there was dysfunction uh, on the back end. Yes, there were a lot of breakdowns. Yes, there were communication issues. Yes, I feel like uh, there were some you know youthful mistakes that were going on. Obviously, there were also injuries uh, that the team was dealing with. Uh, that all kind of contributed um, to the how shaky that secondary was last year. Uh, but it also didn't help that you're asking young players, inexperienced players, or anybody for that matter, to cover as long as they had to cover. Eventually, guys are gonna break free in those situations when, when, when you know, the, the, the defensive line just isn't getting to the quarterback. If that changes, it's gonna change the entire dynamic of the Raiders' uh, secondary, and we have to see it to believe it, but the potential is there, without question. Uh, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line. Uh, Sammy wants to talk about Isaiah Johnson. How you doing, Sammy? Yo, Vinny, what's going on, my brother? Thank you for taking this call, man. Always, always. So listen, yeah, I, I just, I guess I'm intrigued a lot with Isaiah Johnson. I mean, this is somebody with really good height, really good speed, very long arms. I don't know what he was projected as coming out of college, but there's a lot of talent there. I know last year he covered some tight ends. Um, I'm just curious. Is this? I, I forget the coach's name of the secondary, but is this the type of kid where they'll pull aside and maybe work with before practice or maybe after practice? Because I, I just think they're sitting on some something really special here if they could just just work with him. I don't know why he hasn't got more playing time. I know he's been injured. Um, but wow, man, I, I really want to see this kid take off. Yeah, and, um, you know, uh, there, there's obviously potential. His backstory was that he, he started at University of Houston as a wide receiver uh, and played there, I want to say, a couple of years before switching over uh, to cornerback um, mm-hmm. for his last couple of years. So when the Raiders drafted him, I believe it was in the fourth round out of Houston in 2019, uh it, there was there was an understanding um, that this was a development type of a situation, and um, you know you do that in the in those rounds. You know you're not necessarily if you're if you're looking to the fourth round for starter players, like counting on that. I mean, if it happens, great. 
but if you're counting on that, that means that you know you, you just don't have a very good team to begin with. Um, so a lot in a lot of cases, fourth round picks. Obviously, there's a reason why they're they're being taken in the fourth. There was some kind of a glitch, some kind of a um, discrepancy that prevented them from being a higher pick or somebody that guys teams could could count on earlier to to contribute. And so in Isaiah's case, I think the fact that he was, you know, the background of you know, being a, a wide receiver for the first couple of years in college, then switching over to cornerback, there was a raw element to his game. He still hadn't kind of smoothed it all out. But you're talking about what six foot three, um, you know, built, can run, um, had has athletic ability, obviously being a wide receiver. So there were a lot of projectable skills that he had. That now you put him in with you know in an NFL environment with NFL coaches trying to get it coached up and get him to a point where he can be counted on to contribute on a play-in and play-out basis. Now, you know, unfortunately for Isaiah, that first year was kind of a wash. Um, he, he suffered a serious face injury in the preseason. Uh, I remember when he came back, then very soon after, there was a, a back injury that, uh, that actually required minor surgery last offseason. Uh, so he was coming into last year, uh, you know, still coming off of, uh, off of a surgery, not quite sure how that set him back or set him back at all uh, in 2020. But, you know, he got on the field a couple of times. There was a great game, a great sequence, I should say, against the Chargers in Los Angeles where, you know, he had to play and he responded and he played well. It was only a couple of plays, but he actually kind of saved the day uh, in that game. But beyond that, you know, it, he, it, getting on the field has been difficult for Isaiah. And you look at this offseason, and here's the thing. This is what you have to kind of really look at, honestly. You know, Isaiah Johnson is going into year three. Um, you would think that this would be a year that if it was going to happen, and, you know, I'm not saying that it won't or anything like that, but if, if the Raiders believed that it was going to happen or it was on the cusp of happening, what makes you wonder about that and whether they believe that or not is they go out and sign Casey Hayward. Uh, they go out and sign um, uh, Rasul Douglas, right? They go out and they, they draft uh, Nate Hobbs uh, from, from Illinois. So they re-sign um, Nevin Lawson. Um, it just seems like, and I know that you needed um, veteran, a, a veteran presence uh, back there and Casey Hayward and Douglas certainly uh, qualify um, from from that perspective, uh, but then drafting you know another another uh, or, or cornerback, it makes you wonder if maybe time is slipping away a little bit for Isaiah Johnson. Um, he wasn't there yesterday uh, at, um, at 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 OTAs day two of OTAs. Not quite sure if he was there today or not. Uh, but for for his sake, I think he obviously needs to be in the building. And there's never been a work ethic issue with him. He seems really bright and really. Uh, willing to put the work in, um, but you just wonder at this stage what the Raiders think of him and his long-term uh, future. I know that they dabbled with moving him to safety a little bit, or he got some snaps at safety a little bit. From my understanding, that's no longer uh, a consideration, so it's cornerback or nothing. Um, but in actions, what the Raiders have done uh, in bringing in three new players, it kind of tells you what uh, what they might think 
of, uh, of some of the other guys in that secondary, but we'll see. Uh, he definitely has a skill set. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation uh, listener line. Uh, Devil wants to talk about uh, the defense. Is it Devil or Devel? It's Devel. All right, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, Benny. Thanks for taking my call. I actually you wanted to talk about why uh, Nate Peters, Nate Peterman, should start over Derek Carr. Um, just joking, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I was like, I, I, I was just taking a sip of coffee. It was going to get spit out here in a second. So uh, thanks for <laughs> <laughs> thanks for giving me the heads up that it was just a joke. Yeah, just joking, man. Uh, but no, I just wanted to talk about the Raiders' defense and in particular their linebackers. You said something interesting the other day. You talked about how Tanner Muse looked out there yesterday, how he looked bigger, faster, stronger. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I want to fast forward all the way to week one right now, Monday night, against the Ravens who run, you know, two tight, two to three tight end sets, big fullbacks, jet sweeps, options, uh, quarterback read options. And you know they get that extra lineman uh, up to the second level because they keep they keep, uh, leave that D in. They let that DM rush in off the option. So I'm wondering what's plan B for the linebackers. Because last year, which my my biggest fear on defense was the Raiders linebackers. If somebody got hurt, mainly Kwiatkowski, it was going to be a problem. And my worst fear happened last year. It happened, what, week two, week one? And uh, unless Nicholas Moreau can uh, get better technique, I I just don't, you know, week, I'm just thinking about week one. I'm just trying to see how that's going to play out because, you know, they're coming with some big guys and we got a lot of fast tweeners at linebackers that play, you know, linebacker safety, a lot of speed, but these these guys are coming with two to three tight end sets and I'm wondering, like, what's the backup plan if somebody gets hurt? Who's going to play the middle linebacker? Like, this? you have any clue? Well, week one? Well, first of all, first of all, man, uh, you got me all fired up, man, when you're talking about double tight ends and, you know, bringing hard hat and getting ready because it's going to be a dogfight in that game and yeah, it's a you know degree. this is this is a team like no other right right team. exactly and then the week later you got to go play pittsburgh steelers which they're kind of built uh out of the same mold uh it's going to be tough physical football both first you know opening two weeks and it's going to be a short week going to pittsburgh so um you know for from the raiders perspective and i know it's a long way uh, to that opening night uh, game against the against the Baltimore Ravens, uh, it behooves them to try to take care of that thing early, uh, so that they can go make that long trip to Pittsburgh on a short week uh, in a little bit better physical condition. Uh, but we'll see. And you're right, um, it's it's that's going to be a physical team that are going to throw big old bodies uh, at the Raiders defense, and they got to be uh, you know put those hard hats on and be ready to play as. Listen, I'm telling you right now, like when I look at the Raider linebacker uh, crew, um, it's a little concerning. It's a little concerning when you when you when you think about what's behind the starters, Nicholas Morrow, Corey Littleton, Nick Wachowski. It's all untested uh, at this point. Uh, uh, Javin White, you know, Tanner Muse, Divine Diablo, uh, Max Richardson, a rookie free agent. Um, it's there's there's not a lot of playing time. There's not a lot of. Uh, production there. In fact, there's very, very, very minimal. Um, so, you know, these guys are going to have to show something here in OTAs and then in training camp to give the Raiders a comfort level that they don't need to go out maybe and make a move to bring in some kind of a veteran that's going to be able to give them a little bit more, you know, create a better sleep night for the coaching staff knowing that they've got a couple of positions uh, covered. But I'll say this. Both Divine Diablo, White, 
or all three of those guys, White, Divine, Divine Diablo, and Tanner Muse, they're, they're smart. Uh, I think they're good football players. Uh, so I, I think they're going to be able to put themselves in a position from, you know, above the shoulders standpoint uh, to be able to to be able to grasp the defense and be able to contribute if called upon, but they have to show it because you're right. Uh, it's no joke starting the season against the Baltimore Ravens, and they're gonna they're gonna try to put the hard hats on on the Raiders. And injuries can happen. So what do the Raiders have behind those three linebackers that they feel comfortable about that they're gonna be able to put out there uh, on an extended basis? We'll see. You're in the huddle with thanks for the call, uh, Debell. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I think it's a competitive advantage for us to be here working right now. Um... We're a young team. We're learning a new defense, uh, offense. We're trying to sharpen our tools to uh, be more productive, put up more points, put more pressure on teams. And uh, it's just great. It's great for team building, great to be around the guys. Uh, Coach Gruden's taking good care of us as far as walkthroughs and uh, keeping things down tempo. But uh, it was important for us. You know, the, the offseason kind of started off with uh, the NFLPA and their agenda. And, uh, you know, we released a statement, but a couple days later we came together and we were like, listen, other teams are working. We are uh, at a competitive disadvantage if we're not working. Let's get our asses back there and get to work. Spoken like a true veteran who actually gets it. I love uh, Richie Incognito's terminology and classification of the Players Association's agenda, quote unquote, because that's exactly what it was, that's exactly what it is, and uh, that agenda does not speak for the majority of NFL players, I can assure you of that, that whole vote uh, by the Raiders and everybody else was, okay, we'll, 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 we'll play the game for you guys, union leaders, uh, but in reality, what did Richie Incognito said? It's time to get our you-know-what's to work because uh, uh, there is a competitive uh, advantage and disadvantage associated with this. And let's be honest, uh, the Raiders aren't, you know, a championship team that can just completely skip this time of year and this part of the process. They understand um, where they are, who they are, what they need to do, what the goals are, what the objectives are, uh, and, and the steps that need to be taken to reach those objectives. And, uh, and to me, if you're a Raider fan, uh, that's something to be pretty enthusiastic about, that those players get it. That's why 83 of 89 players were out there yesterday, and, and the attendance has, has been really impressive uh, throughout the OTA process, including Phase 3 right now, which, which started a couple of days ago. Um, so Richie Incognito gets it, and so did the majority of Raiders. It was never a question whether or not they were going to be out there practicing. Uh, it just was not going to happen that they were going to skip this. No way, no how. Uh, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend from the local NBC affiliate out here, Jesse Merrick. You can follow him at Jesse News 3 lb And I'm assuming, Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that you're ready to get into some pub in St. Paul or Minneapolis right now. Am I right? Are you on the road right now, or are you here locally? I actually just landed in Vegas about an hour and a half ago, so fresh, fresh off the plane. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. The game was... Ah, my bad. I thought you guys were going back to St. Paul. No, you're coming back here uh, to play Game 7. So uh, let's talk about that really quick. And by the way, thank you. I know how crazy travel can be. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time in spite of a hectic day for you uh, coming back home. Um, for, first of all, what was the mood last night? In the, I know it ultimately didn't matter, although... Had that goal stood that was taken away from the uh, from the Knights, I know from experience, you know from experience, that things can change on a dime. And momentum could have been in the back pocket of the uh, Knights at that point, and it could have been a whole different game from 1-1 on. As it turns out, they took the goal away. It's still, um, you know, 1-0, uh, then soon 2 and 3-0, uh, and, and that's all she wrote. But what was the mood in terms of that goal that was taken away, and what it deprived the Golden Knights of last night? Well, to be honest, you know, I think with, with us and with the media, when we spoke to them on the Zoom, you could tell they were frustrated about it. Mark Stone kind of gave the idea that he thought it was a toss-up, but also threw a bit back in there that, you know, uh, it is what it is type of thing, and that he felt that it shouldn't have been called, but then he also said other things that have been called for lesser have been called and been upheld. Um, so it was one of those ones where I think he's kind of like, you know, no consistency with the call, and, and I can see it both ways. If you're looking at it objectively, yeah, I think it was the right call. Uh, still frustrating, but a huge momentum swing in the game because, like you said, that is a game changer. We've seen the Knights benefit from it twice. You know, and having that quick of a response after the night after the Wild go up one nothing, and then you go on the power play or on, you in the Wild go on the power play and you give up that goal, and that totally changes the game. So it was one of those ones that you could sense the frustration. You know, and look, these guys are pros. You know, they've grown up. You know, living for these types of moments in terms of Game Seven. You know, winner take all type of deal, but. Uh, third year in a row now that they've been up a 3-1 lead in the series, they can't feel great about themselves going into Game 7. Yeah, and I'm not the biggest hockey rules person, um, and I get you're not supposed to be in front of the goalie in the, in the crease area and all that, but it, it just seems, um, uh, I, I don't know what, what to make of it and, and how they interpret this, but it seemed like he was getting bracketed in there. Somebody was holding, a, a, a player from the other team was sort of holding him in that place where he couldn't get out of it, even if he wanted to. So I'm not sure what the referees, how the referees play that into the whole uh, sequence. But it is what it is. There's a Game 7 now um, uh, at T-Mobile Arena, and obviously all momentum is in favor right now uh, of the Minnesota Wild. Um, real quick on that, hockey seems to be one of those sports where momentum Eh, does it does it you know it it, it it can be fleeting let's put it that way and it's almost like in baseball you know momentum is as strong as your next night's pitcher or sometimes the other team's uh pitcher the the, the golden knights seem really well equipped in terms of their goalies you figure they're going to be able to uh, perform uh, in game seven the psyche and the mood of the other players uh i know it's been a tough go these last couple of games where do you think they are from a mindset standpoint going into game seven you know, I think they're like, hey, and Mark Stone said it after the, the uh, game as well. He said, look, we've got one game to advance on our home ring. You know, you can't ask for much more than that. And, and I think I think that's honest. You know, obviously, they've got to be mad that they gave up a 3-1 lead now, again, for the third time in three years. But at the same time, to have it at your house where you're going to have 12,000-plus fans there, you got to be going in with some confidence. You know, some of the loudest fans in the NHL, and that's not even just coming from a – a homer Vegas standpoint, and other people around the league have said that as well. So you got to like their chances in that. 
But again, like you mentioned, you know, hockey is one of those ones where momentum can kind of be fleeting. And hockey is also one of those games where you can outshoot the other team like 45 to 15 and lose one nothing because hockey is close. A lot of people say is hockey's going to hockey. Like sometimes it just happens. It's weird. So going into a game seven, it's like it could be a toss-up because all you need is that one goal and it could be a fluky goal and all of a sudden you're sitting at home thinking, wow, we were up 3-1 and what the heck happened. But having said all that, the sky's not falling. Before this series even started, we all said, thought this was going to be a 6 to 7 game series anyway. So that's where we are. This is what we expected. I don't think we should kind of freak out about it. But a lot of us are anyway because, you know, that's what our job is to do at times. We don't kind of start up the, you know, <laughs> talk about the game and everything. But I'm excited for it, man. First game seven in the history of T-Mobile Arena. It's going to be wild. That place is obviously going to be rocking. I mean, you're probably going to be able to set the tension with a knife, that's for sure. Yeah, no question about it. We're talking to Jesse Merrick um, from the uh, local uh, Channel 3 here in Las Vegas. You can follow him at JesseNews3LV. Well, while uh, the Golden Knights are uh, conducting uh, their business out in the open uh, in front of everybody to see uh, on national TV, in front of packed arenas, uh, on the highest, uh, you know, uh, hoisted up on the highest stage in, in hockey right now, the Raiders are kind of toiling away behind the scenes, trying to uh, put themselves in position to have a strong training camp, a strong preseason, and obviously uh, take that into the regular season. So we're, we're in phase three. Uh, they're out there practicing out in Henderson, offense against defense, um, all of that good stuff. Uh, from I know you've been paying a lot of attention to, to the hockey right now, but um, is there anything in particular that's, that's jumped out at you so far? Um, and if not that, what is it that you would like to see from the Raiders um, during this phase of the offseason program? Well, one of the big ones is just the attendance. I believe you said 83 out of 89 that actually showed up. I mean, that's big, uh, especially for a young team. And I had, I had read up on some of the quotes of here in Incognito talking about the fact that they need that, you know, and that this is a competitive advantage, you know. I remember, and I remember seeing your team and talking with you about this stuff as well in the offseason when everyone was talking about boycotting it. And I'm like, man, there's going to be teams around the league that are going to go to this thing, and it's going to be a competitive advantage. Are the Raiders going to be one of them that's going to take advantage of this time? And, and so for me, the biggest one is that they're there and they're showing up in that big of numbers. Huge. Because, again, young team, like, look, I play college football, obviously nowhere near the level of these guys. But in the offseason, in the summer, and the things like that, this is where you really figured out your system. Not to mention they're adding in, you know, a brand new system on defense and going to be adding in wrinkles on offense and everything like that. So this is where you have the time where you're not in a rush. You can really sit down, look at the finer points, and go through it with a fine-tooth comb and figure out where the heck things went wrong on both sides of the ball and really master your team. So that's big in that sense. Also, I'm just really curious to kind of see what ends up happening with the secondary because there's already so many different interesting things thrown into the mix there where you've got Casey Hayward stepping into the fold. He's obviously got the experience with Bradley. you got Jonathan Abram moving down to that box safety type of role and then also trying to figure out where Casey Hayward and Damon Arnett fit into that, whether who's going to be in the slot, who's going to be the outside guy, and then, you know, the different guys like Amik Robertson, does he take a step next year? Or some of the guys that they brought in as far as rookies go, whether it's Hobbs or... Um, uh, blanking out some of the other guys that they got in the secondary there, but I'm going to be real interested to see how that goes. Also, one I'm going to be watching, you know, kind of training camp type of battle thing will be Divide Diablo and uh, Tanner Muse. Those are kind of two guys that were drafted in the same mold, so I'm curious to see what they take out of this OTA time and how that kind of leads into the uh, training camp battle and then the season beyond. You know, um, Obviously, uh, none, of the, none of what we're saying right now um, uh, is going to mean anything until this thing transfers yeah. 
onto the field, right? Um, but but really, at this point, all you can really do is judge it on did it make sense or not. And uh, specifically with that defense, when you start talking about okay, they go and draft Morig, um, that obviously solves a big problem. When you start talking about okay, that means now that you know Jonathan Abrams is going to play a position that makes more sense for him. Oh, they went and got a great pass rusher in Yannick Ngakwe. Oh, they they went at, they went and, and and added a bunch of new bodies to that defensive line. One of the weak sport points uh, of their team last year, whether it was you know, starters or, 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 or backups. Doesn't it kind of get the feel when you talk about, hey, Jonathan Abram moving, you know, to that box safety and Yannick Ngakwe on the team and Morig on the team, that that things this year and this offseason, especially for that defense, it just has a feel of, okay, that makes sense. That that That's that's a good move right there. Do you, do you kind of get that feeling with what they're doing? Again, the answers aren't going to be available until much later on in September and October and November. But at least at this point, it has that feel of, all right, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that one because it, because of the depth that a lot of the signings and the draft picks do provide now. You know, when you think about it, like you said, Abram goes down to the box safety spot, and that's awesome. Um, you know, because that's going to fit more of his talents and his strengths and kind of what he does there. He's not going to be relied upon to be more of that guy that's back there deep and the tackle angles are going to be shrunken down a bit. He'll be able to use his speed and obviously another year smarter in that sense as well. And then you bring in a guy like Ngakwe who is obviously going to be out there more often than not, or at least you'd imagine he is, because if not, then that's going to be a big letdown. But that lightens the load on a guy like Max Crosby who played beat up last year and played well through those injuries but also he gets to be more of a rotational type of guy. It takes some of the weight off of a guy like Cleveland Farrell, adding even more of the guys along the defensive line there. So just simply from the depth standpoint and the bodies that you bring in there and how that kind of permeates throughout the lineup, I think is definitely big. And like you said, the moves make sense for, for putting guys in the right place to succeed. And at the end of the day, when you've got a defense that struggle the way that they have and seeing guys in positions where, if we're being honest, at times they looked out of place, that's a huge step in the right direction in correcting this to what we talked about so many times is just getting it to a serviceable point. We're talking to Jesse Merrick uh, from uh, Channel 3, uh, the NBC affiliate here in Las Vegas. He was nice enough to uh, join us in the huddle on a busy, hectic travel day. I know exactly what he's going through right now. Um, and you can follow him at Jesse uh, News 3 lv uh, Jesse, there's, there's times sometimes in, in, a, in a point in somebody's career or, or, or a situation where you kind of see something turn. And uh, I felt like that yesterday talking to Cleve Farrell and you know, uh, his you know, statement that now has made the rounds where he said, we're sick of losing. You know, when you're a rookie, you're just trying to find your way. Going into year two, you're kind of like, you know, just sort of trying to build off that rookie year. Year three, you've been at it for a little while. And for him to kind of talk as a veteran, we're sick of losing. It seems like a turn for him and for this that 2019 class that are no longer the young dogs. They're no longer the wide-eyed rookies or, or you know second-year sophomores. These are becoming the veterans of the team. And for him to voice that uh, dissatisfaction with losing and talking about how close they were, um, you know, in respect to, to making a playoff push, I like that. Um, and I like that he kind of stepped out there to say that and uh, because it, it shows me that he's making that transition now from young player to veteran. What did you make of what he said yesterday? Yeah, I think it's a good thing to say as well. I mean, again, when you think about it, look at where these guys are coming from. Clemson, Alabama, programs like that that 
you know, they lose maybe one game a year, or sometimes they'll go a year and a half without losing a game. And then, you know, obviously we, we know what it's been like for them in their career here with the Raiders and the games that they've lost. I mean, that's got to make you mad. And I think you hear that, and it kind of shows, hey, look, Bert, to use the cliche, they're going to have to chip on their shoulder. And that's something that can be a point of motivation where you're like, look, I'm tired of being the low man on the totem pole. I'm tired of this. We've got to get to the point where we're getting into the playoffs and really making some noise. So you see that, and that's where – you know, you can use that as your motivation in the offseason for the drive to get there. I mean, I know he's also said that he, he put on the weight that he was trying to put on, and now he's just kind of all about toning it up and working on his football IQ. Well, being mad, not wanting to lose anymore, those are things that football players, because they're crazy, they constantly are repeating that in themselves, in their head, over and over and over again, using it as that motivation. So that's something I think that's big, the fact that they admit it and put it out there, because then you also got to own up on that as well. That it's out there, you got to show me that you are actually tired of it, that that's just not you know, fodder for the fans to throw out there. That's something that you, you put your name behind and you mean it and you're going to put the work in to get it done. Without question. And it's kind of the difference between sometimes, and I'm not saying guys are just happy to be there, but there is a little bit of sense of like, wow, I'm in the NFL, got to you know, figure this out, got to get to, from a team perspective, hey, it's time for us to start winning football games. Enough of trying to find our way and all that kind of stuff. It's time to uh, to do our part uh, to win football games, and it sure sounds like Clee is there, and I'm assuming that he's talked to a lot of his teammates, and they're probably sharing that same exact uh, sentiment. Uh, Jesse, thanks so much for uh, taking some time uh, with us on a busy day for you. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck to uh, the Golden Knights in Game 7. Everyone, obviously, here in Vegas is rooting for them uh, to punch their ticket to the next round, uh, and I know Jesse's going to be all over it uh, over at Channel 3 here in Las Vegas. Jesse, thanks a lot, man. For sure, man. Come to hop on and talk to Ball with you. Have a good one. All right, you too. That's Jesse Merrick from Channel 3, the NBC affiliate here in Las Vegas. You can follow him at Jesse News 3V. Uh, definitely knee-deep uh, on uh, in, in hockey right now. Uh, headed to Game 7 for the Golden Knights. Uh, kind of a couple frustrating last two games. Uh, and, you know, knowing when you're, 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 you're that close to closing something out and moving on and then understanding you got to play three more games to do, or two more games now uh, to do this because they couldn't get it done in Game 5, they couldn't get it done in Game 6, and now all of a sudden they're staring at a do-or-die situation in Game 7. Not a great place to be, but it sure does help that they're going to be playing over at T-Mobile Arena, which I know is going to be on fire uh, for Game 7. So uh, we're all behind the Golden Knight. You're in the huddle, Golden Knights. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Just a heads up, we got our good friend Mike Pritchard uh, coming on at the top of the hour uh, to talk about the Raiders. Uh, obviously, uh, Mike is the co-host of the morning show here uh, at Raider Nation Radio. And uh, always fun to, uh, to talk to him uh, and get his thoughts, uh, having been there, done that, uh, no question uh, about it. But I was, I, I, I really, it, it really did strike me yesterday what Clee talked about, like, we're sick of, we're sick of, of, of losing here. And um, I say that because for young players, especially in an environment where, I mean, there's 53 players on a football team. That's a lot of players. That's a lot of people, right? And um, a lot of those players are veteran players, uh, typically. Um, in the Raiders' case, it's been a little bit on the younger side uh, as they 
go about the rebuild. Uh, but there's a lot of veteran players, and it's not always easy jumping into a situation, even as a first-year player, even as a second-year player, uh, trying to find your voice and find your way. Um, you know, sometimes young players sort of take that, you know, best to be just do my job quietly, uh, not ruffle any feathers uh, or say anything too controversial. I'm just trying to figure out my way. Uh, and however I can help this team, great. That's the goal. Um, that's the objective. But eventually you cease to become a young player and you become one of those veteran players and your voice gets a little bit louder. Um, kind of like a puppy going to a, a dog where all of a sudden you know, you're barking and you're roaring a little bit. Uh, you're no longer kind of uh, chirping away a little bit scared to say anything or step on any toes or ruffle any feathers. Um, you find your voice. And I felt like Clee yesterday when we talked to him uh, showed us that he's starting to find that voice. And I think that that's a very important development in a young player's career. We're sick of tired, tired we're sick of losing. Uh, I don't know if Clee could have said that last year or would have wanted to say it last year. Um, I'm sure he was feeling it, uh, but there's a difference between when you're a young player and you feel something and you're just a little bit hesitant uh, to throw it out there uh, in that kind of a way um, and then becoming somebody where you look around and you're like, hey, man, I'm going to my third year here. All right? like I'm one of the guys that are now the veterans here. Um, I have every right um, to say something like this. And it wasn't demeaning in any way. He wasn't pointing any fingers. He's taken it all on himself. Uh, and from that, it spreads to everyone else who bears some responsibility uh, in what has or hasn't happened uh, these last couple of years. But for him to verbalize it, uh, I think is a, a, a big step in the right direction for him. And, and, you know, last year, if you really crunch the numbers and you look past some of the obvious things, uh, I know we get fixated on sacks and there are players that uh, are responsible for, for doing that, um, you know, on, on a defensive line a little bit more than a player like Cleve Farrell, who's not the speed demon pass rusher guy. He's a guy that brings a size and ability and a physicality to his position as kind of an anchor defensive end who then also can slide inside, um, you know, to uh, in passing situations, whether it's to support run or, or try to get to the quarterback from that vantage point. Um, but if you look at what he did last year, he was a much better player last year than he was as a rookie. And he was actually grading out. There was a point in the season before the injuries and COVID-19 where he was right on the cusp of being a top 10 defensive end. I know Raider Nation, part of it, doesn't want to believe that. But that's the truth of the matter. He was coming along and coming into his own uh, and carrying out his responsibilities. Now, you know, it's a matter of also adding some elements that he talked yesterday about becoming a smarter pass rusher. Um, it's not always about brute, you know, physicality and speed uh, as a pass rusher. You have to be smart. You have to understand what you're doing, what the concepts are and um, you know, how to beat somebody over and over and over again that you're facing down in and down out. Uh, but I really liked him kind of stepping out a little bit and saying that we're tired of losing and kind of assuming some leadership uh, in the process. I think that's a, a, a good step in the right direction for Klee, who I thought was ascending as a player last year uh, as well. Excited to see where he takes it in year three. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. When we get back, Mike Pritchard will join us uh, and talk about that comfort level that you start feeling as a veteran player, a guy that's getting into your vet the veteran phase of his career and being more vocal as a result. We'll talk to you on the other side.